at uh, um, this point in our worship service, we would uh, typically have a testimony from, uh, from one of our people, and uh, as you may or may not be aware of, several weeks ago, uh, we had uh, witnessed the baptisms of several of our people, the faith confirmations. Um, today would be the day that Yurika Maike, um, a Japanese sister, would share her testimony, but um, because of language barrier and things like that, and, and uh, she's not going to share. She actually worshiped with us in, in our Alpha service, um, but if you want to read her testimony, it's written on the insert of your bulletin on the flip side of the pastor's heart um, column there, so please uh, take some time to read that. Um, you don't need to do that now, but you could do that at some point um, and just kind of get to know uh, Eureka, her story, Eureka, her story, and uh, yeah, just celebrate the work of God together uh, with her and with the rest of us, right? Uh, it's a good day to be alive, amen? Uh, it's a good day, amen? Why don't you uh, turn to someone and say, it's good to be here. Yeah. And look to someone else and say, uh, God bless you today. Good, good, good. Um, it is always uh, yeah, such a blessing, a joy, privilege to be together. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called It's Complicated, where we've been, um, I, honestly, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this here, but um, the original, when, when this series was planned out many, many months ago, I was thinking of that Facebook status, relationship status, and, and how it's complicated, and that was in, in my mind, and, and now, like, with, with this up here, just make it seem like uh, we don't know what we're talking about. Uh, hopefully, that's not the vibe that you're getting. Uh, what we're trying to do is to uncomplicate things, to simplify things by uh, deleting all of the other voices that tell us that it's so difficult, and this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to do, and, and all the voices that tell us how to make this thing called relationships work, trying to make it simpler by just listening to the voice that matters and listening to the voice uh, of Scripture. I, um, I think that it's been helpful, uh, at least to some people, at least people, some of the people who've talked to me have said things like, hey, you know what, um, this has been good for me. Like, I'm really relishing and cherishing uh, my single years. I realize there's a purpose to it. There's a gift to it. I've got some things in which I need to grow and work on, and, and God is convicting me of these things. And so I really, um, I'm really thankful for uh, the things that I'm learning through this. Other people have said, even married folks have said, hey, you know what, um, this isn't just for, for single people, but married folks, we're, we're realizing the things that we need to work on in our own lives so that we could continue to grow in order that we might be, not uh, go back to our single life, but be the best person in my marriage that I could be for the sake of my spouse, for the glory of God. So I think, you know, uh, it seems to me as if we're tracking. What I have not heard, though, is for, from people who are single saying, hey, you know what? I think I get it. I think I really got it now, and I'm ready to be in a relationship, so where do we go now? I haven't heard that from anybody. Not to say that that's not the case, um, but maybe you don't want to be presumptuous or you don't want to be prideful. Um, if that's you, whether now or in the future, what we talk about today is, okay, I think, I'm ready, I think I'm ready for this thing called relationships. I'm ready. My heart is satisfied in the Lord. I'm living in undivided devotion to Christ and unhindered service. I've got the fruit of the Spirit living in me. I'm sowing into, uh, I'm sowing into my spirit rather than into my flesh. I think we're good to go. Um, maybe you're, you're there now, maybe you will be there later, uh, but I want to talk about that today. And I know that, that this whole thing called dating and engagement, all that, is more of a cultural thing than it is a Christian thing, because dating the way we do it now would be completely foreign in the eyes of the writers and the people who lived in the biblical times. But um, there are principles that we can learn about life and love and, and marriage. We're going to read from Genesis 24 today. Um, it's the true story of a match made in heaven between a man named Isaac and a woman named Rebecca. The interesting thing is, again, we're not going to find um, complete cultural parallels because there's a lot of transitioning and there's a lot of uh, cultural um, application that is different then than it is now. But um, there's certainly some principles that we can see uh, that will help us to be able to be best ready and best equipped to really be able to do this thing uh, well in a way that honors the Lord and upholds the, the, the value of the people in it. This particular passage, though, was one that scholars say Hebrews, Jewish people, would tell over and over and over, particularly to young Jewish men, to teach them how to pursue a woman to marry in a proper way. And so if you're single, 
Um, I, you know, I think this is going to be really helpful. Even if you're married, I think this is helpful because, again, we live in community, married folks, single folks. Maybe you will one day have children that you want to teach in the ways of singleness. Uh, so I want to read this passage and really help us to understand, all right, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to be in a relationship. How do we go about that process? I'm not going to be... Um, someone said it's more like, you know, we want it to be like... Uh, I don't know, like Lego pieces, step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, and then at the end, it comes out to this finished product called marriage. Um, It's less like that and more about navigating through this murky ocean, right? They could tell you the principles, but at the end of the day, uh, there's no step-by-step guide to getting from one point of the uh, uh, one shore to another shore through the ocean because in this sense, relationships are complicated because people are complicated. But what we do see here is a true story with some principles that we can glean from. And so I want to read Isaiah 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 28, and it's a lot of verses, but um, it's a true story that really happened. So if you can kind of get yourself into the mentality as best you can of an ancient Israelite, I think it'll help us to really understand what's happening here. So Abraham is the main character, the father of our faith. He was, been, he was given a, some promises that from him, every nation on earth is going to be blessed because he's the father of our faith, Christianity. And so he's at this uh, crisis in his life, at the end of his life, and his son, through whom the promises are going to come, is still single. And so here's how he goes about figuring out how to find a mission, how to find a wife. Genesis 24, verse 1. This is God's word. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That's kind of a funny thing to say. Um, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Things like that happened a lot back then, so it's not that big a deal to find one from your own relatives. But what he's saying basically, not the Canaanites, my own people. He's saying nothing wrong with the Canaanite race, but it's the Canaanite religion, right? We talked about that last week, don't be unequally yoked. So he's saying don't find someone who worships another god, but go back to my home country and find one who worships the god that we worship. Verse 5, the servant asked him, what if the woman's ain't willing to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you come from? came from? He says, no, 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 no. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring, I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman's unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only don't take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and left 500 miles, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master, set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels near down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring The daughters of townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please, let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I'll know that you've shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was a daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was a wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. Girl was beautiful, very beautiful, virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands, gave him a drink. After she gave him a drink, she said, I'll I'll draw water for your camels too till they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. The camels had finished drinking. man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? 
please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son that milk aboard to Nahor. And she added, we got plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. This is God's word. Man, it's so cool. It's a true story of a match that was made in heaven. Isaac and Rebecca, beautiful. Uh, three thoughts from this, okay? Just one thing to do and two things not to do. When you feel like you're ready, you're ready to go. Uh, first thing, very simple. First thing is do take this decision seriously and make this decision prayerfully, okay? One thing to do. When you're ready to get married, you're ready to pursue somebody, ready to be pursued by somebody, ready to get in a relationship, do take this decision seriously and make the decision prayerfully. I was playing uh, Would You Rather with my kids, Manny, nine, Elijah, seven, Elise, five, but they were nine, six, four at the time. Playing Would You Rather, and we asked this question, would you rather have all the money in the world but not be able to go to church ever again, or would you rather have some money but be able to go to church as much as you want? And so the oldest two, Manny and Elijah, said, oh, church. Yeah, church and a little bit of money for sure. Elise thought about it, and she said, money, (laughs) show me the money, that's what she said. And I was slightly discouraged, you know, I was hoping that they would all get the right answer, but realized parenting fail, number one, right? She chose the money over church. It's funny, maybe at this age, but it's not so funny when we get older, is it? I have a friend uh, named Danny. He's a youth pastor in Philly, and he's been doing this for about 25 years. He's got a lot of clout, got a lot of street cred, a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of re- rapport and relationship with the parents. So some of, uh, over the past 25 years, some of his youth students will graduate, and his parents will come to him and say, hey, 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 Danny Moksanim, which means Pastor Danny in Korean. Moksanim, you, we, need, we, need a, we need a husband for my daughter or a, a wife for my son. And, and he'll say, yeah, 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 you know, pray about it, pray about it, blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, it's not, it's, it's good to be single, it's good to be married, same stuff. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. And, and he says, okay, um, I have two people. Okay, I have two people. One, he's a really good Christian, really good Christian man, but he doesn't make a lot of money. I could set your daughter up with him, or uh, I have a daughter makes a lot, uh, I have a doctor who makes a lot of money, but he's not a Christian. Which one would you like me to introduce your daughter to? And they're like, well, in Korean, Dr. Chocho, right? Yeah. Doctor's good, right? The doctor's good. And he's like, wrong answer. And he yells at them. He's like, what's wrong with you? You're so stupid. That's why your kids don't love Jesus. You're so dumb. That's not the right answer. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say the same thing that we would tell Elise if she was a little bit older. It's funny and it's cute when you're young. But it's not so cute and funny when you get older because you cannot take this decision lightly. In fact, um, we have a sister who is out of, out, of, uh, out of town who was listening to one of these sermons on singleness. And she's like, you know what? The issue, this is cool for me, but I really wish this could get translated so that my parents could hear it. Right? Maybe sometimes we feel that way too. Right? Because we feel all of this pressure. Hey, it, when you go into this, right, make, take this decision seriously and make the decision prayerfully. It, this, is, this is a huge decision, right? You, you know that this is huge because it says in verse 1, verse 2, Abraham said to the chief servant in his household, the, the one in charge of all the things that he owned. So this isn't just like, hey, some Joe Schmo servant come and find a wife for my son. That's not what he's saying. If you look at it, what it says in verse 2, uh, in the footnote at the bottom of your Bible, it may say, or the oldest servant, either the chief servant or the oldest servant, regardless it's the one that Abraham trusts the most because he's in charge of everything in Abraham's household. Therefore, it's to him that he gives this commission and says, you've got to find a wife for my son. Why is this important? Well, obviously, finding a wife for a son is important. It's what parents want to do before they go and meet their maker. But it's also important because you remember that the promises of God given to Abraham were promises that would run through his descendants so that all nations on earth would be blessed through him. But at this point, his son doesn't even have children because he's not even married. So how can everyone be blessed? How can we be a nation if it's just me, my wife, and my son? He's got to get married. And so he calls the servant and says, yo, 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 check this out. Uh, Put your hand under my thigh, it says. 
So every, every scholar, every commentator will say, on putting your hand on your thigh is a euphemism for putting your hand on the male reproductive organ. Okay, this is kind of weird. I understand this. And we don't do, again, there's some cultural translation that needs to be done. We don't do this kind of stuff today. Hey, can you, let's go on eHarmony. Yeah, put your hand under my thigh. And then we don't do this kind of stuff. What is he saying? He's saying this is how important the decision is. And when the servant, his chief servant, there's nothing sexual about it. Put your hand on my reproductive organ. What he's saying is the decision that you're making is going to affect generations to come. From my seed, this has eternal and far-reaching implications. Do you think the servant, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this kind of stuff didn't happen all the time where he's grabbing his master's thing. <laughs> Do you think the servant, as he does this, is, would ever forget that this is what Abraham is saying? This is a huge deal for me. So he's understanding, I cannot take this lightly. And so here he's Goes to, and then he says, let me tell you the kind of person that you need to get. And he begins to explain this to him. You, you don't need, the, the, <laughs> the easiest thing as they have this conversation, the easiest thing for the servant would be, hey, hey, um, you're, you're a baller, Abraham. You got a lot of money. We're in Canaan. We could find a Canaanite princess who's got a lot of money. We could make this easy. He could grow up and live in the land of the promise that God gave to you. It would be easiest to do this. Can can we just do that? He doesn't say that, right? Abraham makes it clear. Make sure you don't get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living. We're right here, right? You want to find the right person. If you can't find the right person where you are, then you got to go to the place where you're going to find them. And so he says, I want you to go back to my parents' land. That's 500 miles on camel. You see, it would be easy. It's easy for some of us to say, hey, 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 um, I'm here in Orlando, and yeah, maybe there's no one that great for me here, so maybe I'll just find someone. Let, can, can I just find someone from amongst the people here? Even though they don't worship the same God as I do, is it okay for me to do that? And that's what some people do. And Abraham is saying, hey, listen, you're my chief servant. Make sure you don't do that. Make sure you do not compromise on my son's wife. Go back, Even if it's sacrifice, 500 miles that you've got to go on a journey, even if it means that, then you make that trek, but there cannot be compromise because you cannot make this decision, take this decision lightly. That it would be easy for us to say, well, my, oh, my situation is different, right? I don't have the seed of the promise running through my line, but You understand this too, don't you? You understand how every marriage affects generations to come, don't you? We'd be foolish to think that we are not the product of the DNA and the gene pool that our parents created together, right? We are in large part shaped by the person that our parents, that our mother or our father married. And so this is not just an Abrahamic, Isaac thing. This is for all of us. Who you matter makes all the difference in the world, not only for your love life, but for descendants and generations to come. Children, and, and there's a reason why God says what God has brought together, let no one tear apart because God does not like divorce. There's some cases where it is acceptable and it's okay and it's right. Scripturally, it's allowable, but that's not the preferred option. Some of us in here have gone through divorce, and God obviously forgives, and he redeems, and he restores. But the default is God desires you to be married with person that you're going to spend the rest of your life together with because you see the fallout of children of divorce in, in terms of crime, in terms of alcohol, in terms of drugs, in terms of sex, in terms of dropping out of high school, in terms of just health in general. So many things, so many things happen that are different when you've got uh, parents who love one another and stay together versus parents of divorce. The likelihood of harmful behavior increases exponentially, and we think it doesn't make a difference. It's just me and her. It's just me and him. It just takes two to tango. It doesn't, right? It doesn't. There's a very important, very important decision that you're making when you uh, link your life together with somebody else, and it's not something that we take Lightly, right? We take seriously. And so here's how he shows he takes it seriously. He says in verse 12, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. You know, the more important a decision is in your life, the more we need to bathe and clothe that in prayer, right? One of the prayer requests that I get the most from our youth students is, 
hey, can you pray for me about where I ought to go to college? I get that all. Why do we get that all the time? Because our young people understand that this is up until that point in their lives the most significant decision that they're going to make because for the next four years, give or take whatever it is, those are going to be the years that shape and form the, the, just the, the, the heartbeat of who they are as people. Spiritual lives will be made or broken in large part that first year in college. And so they're saying, pray for me because this is huge. I don't want to make a wrong decision. I don't want to make a wrong turn. I want to go to the place where God wants me to go because I believe that there's a place God has for me in order for me to grow to become the best person to maximize my life for the glory of God. If four years' worth of life are worth that kind of prayer, then isn't it so much more incumbent upon us to think about from now until the rest of my life to clothe and to bathe that decision in prayer. I said this last week. I don't do this every night. We don't do this every night, but we're praying for our kids. We're praying for the men that Manny and, and Elise will one day marry, for the woman that Elijah will one day marry. Granted that marriage is in the cards for them. It may not be, but we're praying for these people now so that when they meet someone one day, it's not like, oh, that's the first time we're praying for them. We want to pray for them now and to store up prayers so that when those times come, they're able to understand. Because a lot of times we don't have the, the wherewithal, the discernment, but Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. And a lot of times we don't see that because we're blinded by the romance of it all or we're blinded by uh, whatever subjectivity or by the voices that are telling us that, yeah, you're old enough, you need to get into a relationship. But this is something that we need to take seriously, and so it's something we need to make prayerfully. And as you commit this to the Lord in prayer, and as you really learn to submit your heart to the will of God, not try to bend the will of God to your own heart's desires, okay, big difference, submitting our hearts to the will of God versus bending the will of God to our own heart desires, then I think God's going to answer in one of four ways. One, if you're ready and another person is ready, he's going to say, go, (laughs) it's game time. But if that's not the right person, or you're not the right person, then he'll say no. And he'll say that in a variety of different ways. But maybe you're ready, you're in a good place, you're growing, you're seeking the Lord, and you're being pursued by some dude, or you're pursuing some girl, and you're like, is this the one? Right? And you think you're ready to go, you think, you're, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, and... and and as you pray about it, you feel like it's not the right thing. If you're ready, but the other person is not, then the Lord will probably say, slow. Slow down. Let me work on them. Let me grow them. Let me develop them. Don't awaken that love right now until it's time. But maybe the other person is ready, but you're not ready. Then God will say, grow. Hey, let's grow. You got to grow. Don't pursue that. Don't follow that until you've grown and worked out some of these habits because you remember you sow in your singleness. You will reap in your marriage what you sow in your singleness. As you commit it to the Lord, I'm almost certain that the Lord will lead you in this way. He'll say, go, no, slow or grow. One of these ways, but it's something that we need to commit to the Lord. First thing, okay, first thing, do take it seriously and do make it prayerfully. Second thing that we see, okay, second thing that we see is, is uh, two don'ts coming up. Don't just look. <laughs> Watch. Don't just look, watch. Uh, so watch what I mean. Okay, you don't understand. Watch this. There is an online poll done on the internet that said, who is the best TV boyfriend? Right? Which TV show boyfriend would make the best marriage material, husband material? Uh, I don't watch a lot of these shows, so I didn't know. But um, out of the top five, a um, couple of the shows whose names I recognize, there's one that Olive watches called Parks and Rec. Uh, there's a guy on that show called Andy. Does anyone know Andy from Parks and Rec? Okay. Andy was in the top five um, TV show boyfriends, right? Yeah, Andy, right? Uh, Chris Pratt, right? Chris, Chris Pratt. Um, there's another show called Dawson's Creek, um, and there's a guy named Pacey. Does anyone know Pacey from Dawson's Creek? Yeah, he was like, yeah, okay, one person, good. Pacey. Do you know who the number one, and I, I, I delight in this because I actually watched this show. Do you know who the number one TV show boyfriend of all time? Well, not of all time, but of sitcoms maybe in the last 30 years? Jim Halpert from The Office. Yeah, Jim, right? So Jim Halpert, you hear about this, you read this, you hear this now, and you're like, I don't, I've never seen an episode of The Office. Who's Jim Halpert? And so here's what you do. You go on your smartphone because you're so eager to find out right now who Jim Halpert is, and you Google Jim Halpert. I'm trying to see if anyone's doing this right now. 
You Google Jim Halpert, his picture comes up, and you look at him, and you're like, ah, yeah, he's okay. Slightly attractive, little bushy hair. He's the dude from A Quiet Place. Yeah, I know that guy. Ah, he's not all that. Then here's what I would say to you. No, 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 no. Dude, Jim Halpert is all that. You can't tell just by looking. you got to watch the show. You just watch a couple episodes of it, and you're going to see Jim is mad funny. He's like such a good friend. He's uh, witty. He's, he's the kind of guy that you want to hang out with. you got to watch the show in order to find out. Because, you know, there's some things that you can learn by watching that looking alone cannot reveal. There's a lot of times what we're looking for are things, well, that's what you see, right? That's what you see on your dating apps, coffee meets bagel or eHarmony or whatever it is. Oh, my goodness, yeah, look at her, look at him. Uh, There's things that you can see by watching that you cannot see by looking alone. When Abraham says, hey, 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 chief servant of mine, uh, I want you to go find this person he doesn't say, hey, look for someone who's about five foot seven. She got long black hair. She got earrings and she's got like fancy clothes. He doesn't say that. He says, this is what you're looking for. It's something that can only be seen by watching. You don't believe me. Look at what it says in verse 21. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Because beauty, you know, is only skin deep, but there's things that we can see by watching that you can't tell simply by looking. And so he says, hey, hey remember this, guys. Um, don't get a wife from the Canaanites, but you got to go. You got to go find her from one of my people. And so the servant says, well, let me make sure I got this right. I'm going to find her. What if she doesn't want to come back? Do I bring Isaac over there? And he says, no, 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 no. He, he, verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only just, just don't take my son back there. So what is he saying? You got to watch her. If she's willing to come back 500 miles, leave her family behind 500 miles for the sake of the call of God. This is a woman of faith, a woman who's willing to abandon it all to follow Jesus. He said, that's what you're looking for, and you can only see that by watching and observing and following her life. What else is he looking for? Well, this is what he does. Then he takes 10 of his master's camels, and he goes, verse 11, he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Did you know, this is fascinating, did you know that wells in those days were almost like a bar that you might go to, or almost like a church singles gathering where you could go and meet people who were single and ready to mingle. So here you go. Moses meets his wife Zipporah at a well. Jacob sees his wife Rachel, one of his wives, at a well. Isaac, his, at least his servant, finds Rebekah at a well. Okay, this is where oftentimes love happens. And so they're at a well here, and he brings his camels, and it says it's the time that the women go out to draw water. He prays, and his prayer is, hey, if she says drink, and I'll water your camels too, that's the certain sign. So here he is. You remember, he's not only the chief servant, but your footnote says he's the oldest servant. So here comes Rebecca. She's got water on her head or on her shoulder, wherever it is that she brings her water. And she comes, and he says, hey, 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 young lady, would you give me a drink of water? And her response is, uh, she, it says, she, uh, drink, my Lord, verse, uh, what is this, 18, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. It's interesting. What are we observing? What are we looking for? I think, you know, we've talked about this in the last two weeks, but one of the things that we need to be looking for is how does a woman who might want to come to a well to meet a potential mate, but she sees someone much older who has no chance of being her husband, who has nothing to offer to her, how she treats people like him makes all the difference in the world. Not only that, but she says, hey, 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 
not only you drink, but I'm, I'll water your camels too. How many camels were there? There were 10 camels, not 10 cats. Okay? Cats drink a little bit of water. I don't know if they drink water. They drink milk, right? Cats, because they're like high maintenance. But if camels, camels drink water, okay? Camels drink water. They don't just drink a little saucer of water because they got those humps that store water. Uh, one camel can drink 20 to 25 gallons of water. So if you multiply that by 10, that's 200 to 250 gallons of water that this little Rebecca is bringing for this old man and his camels. And she said, hey, drink and get, hey, I'll feed your, I'll water your camels as well. One of the things that he's looking for is how will she treat my camels who have nothing to give in return to her? How does the person that you like treat the servants, the elderly, and the camels in your life? Does he or she take care of them? First date, go to a sit-down restaurant and see how they treat the server. Intentionally get your order wrong. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But if you get your order wrong, okay, don't play games. Just be straight, right? But if your order's wrong... How do they treat the server? How do they tip them? How do they speak to them? How do they treat the busboy? How do they treat the people that nobody is able, or who, how do they treat the people who are not able to give anything to you in return? He's watching, he's observing, and he says, wow, 200 gallons of water for a man who she does not know, his camels. That's crazy, but it's not just that. He goes on. Uh, he says he watched her closely. She was at the time of day that the women would go to draw water. Again, this is not just, he, this is not just a normal, hey, I'll give you water to drink. Feeding the camels was above and beyond. This is the extra mile, because she, but she was there at the time when women go to draw water from the well. What does that mean? Obviously, she was a woman who went the extra mile for the sake of someone she didn't know. But you will only go the extra mile if you're already going the first mile presently. There's a faithfulness in the present moment that Rebecca is showing that caused her to say, because I'm faithful with a little, God said, hey, here's an opportunity for more. She was faithful with more. If the dude who's pursuing you isn't faithful in his responsibilities... And he's not worthy of your time right now. He's got to grow. So you got to take it slow because this is a huge decision that you've got to make. If they're not faithful in their present call, then they got to work on faithfulness to the present call because if they're not going that first mile, then they certainly won't be going the extra mile for you. And so he watches, and then at the end of it all, he says in verse 26, this is awesome, then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Can I ask you a question? When people see you or when you see the person that you're interested in, does their life or does your life cause them, cause you to worship God? With the person in whom you're in relationship right now, when you think about them, does it cause you to say, God, I love you more, I worship you more, I see you as greater because of that person in my life? When you look into the eyes of your lover, are you seeing the greatness of Jesus in their face. That's how important this decision is. Not just, oh, yeah, they make me feel good. Yeah, they got a lot of money. Yeah, you know what? They went, we went on a date to eat crab legs, and, and it was the best meal I've had in my life. I think she's a keeper. I think he's a... No. Does the person you're with cause you to worship God and say, God, you are awesome. Because of this relationship, I see you in greater ways. Because of this relationship, I want to run this race with all of my heart towards you. Because of who you are, because of who you brought into my life, I want to go all out to live all of my days for Jesus until we see you face to face. I have found the one my heart desires. Because when he sees Rebecca, he's like, holy cow, I found it. The crazy thing is he was praying, and it says before he'd even finished praying, <laughs> Rebecca rolled up into that joint. Like God knows. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it in order that the glory of God would be maximized through that relationship. Well, don't just look, watch. <laughs> the third thing that we see, okay, third thing that we see is uh, don't try to do this alone. 
me. Don't try and do this alone. Back in the day, uh, for many, many years, and in, in the majority of cultures, the way people got married was that their parents said, hey, uh, hey, parent of another child, uh, let's talk. Let's set our children up together. I think they would be good for each other. I think they could live for the Lord. Okay, cool, they do it. In India, uh, arranged marriage is still 5% divorce rate. That's pretty good. That's like 10 times lower than here in America where we're just like trying to do it our own way. Coffee, hey, coffee, meat, bagel, again, okay, good, let's do it. Um, Nothing wrong with dating apps. I'm completely for it. But what it does oftentimes is it strips people away from the community. A third of relationships up from 2004 to 2012, a third of relationships were started online. Again, nothing wrong with that, but if that's where it remains, apart from the community, because you can't see community on dating apps. You just see a person, their profile, their quote. Right? Uh, in uh, Ecuador, when we go to the Kofan people, right, minister along that, that, that area, from, uh, they, hit, they hit puberty between 12 and 14 years old, so that's when they get married, right? when they're at their like, sexuality, they're ready. Um, but parents start setting them up when they're like four, five, six years old. Hey, uh, you Kofan boy and you Kofan girl, when you hit 13 years of age, you guys get married. So we asked them, how are the, how are the marriages amongst the Kofan people? They say, uh, we only know of one marriage that hasn't, quote, unquote, worked out. Everything else works out. There's an importance of community. Even here in America, that's how it used to be done. Do you know that? Uh, there's a bunch of um, places that talk about the history of dating in America uh, but it started shifting when, uh, in, around the early 1900s, and this is the way it, it happened back then, is that the dude would go, if he liked the girl, if I liked Olivia, I would go to her house and not talk with her, but I would talk with her dad. Okay? I would talk with her dad, not, uh, it, would, it would usually happen, they said, in the parlor, which is some kind of a room within the house, or on the front porch. So I would talk with Olivia's dad, and he would screen me out. He probably has a gun next to him or something, and he would talk to me, and then he would say, okay, I think you should come back a second time. It was all about the community, and in those days, the power and the protection was over the woman. This is in my daddy's house. I got the cards here. If I don't like him, he ain't coming back. But things started changing early 1900s and the 1920s or so when cars began getting mass produced and daddies would buy their boys cars and so dudes would drive their cars and they would pick up a girl and say, let's not hang out here in your house, let's go into the city, let's go eat, let's watch a movie, let's go to the park. And then the balance of power began to shift. The cards were held by the dudes now because the girl was no longer under the protection of her father's roof. And you know what happens, all kinds of trouble begins to happen when that protection is gone. Hey, it's my car, I'm giving you a ride, I could leave you in the city. I paid for the meal, now you got to give me something. That's how this crazy institution of American dating began on the foundation of let's strip it away from the community, let's let boys be boys, and you just do whatever you want to do. It's just, It's terrible. We'll talk more about this next week, but sexual revolution and all of these things that happen where it's stripping relationships away from the people around us. You understand in Genesis 24, in this ever-important marriage, Isaac doesn't even show up in this passage until after she's like, all right, I'm ready to meet this guy. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get married. At the end of the chapter, uh, she says, I do to him. Because it's not meant to be done alone. That's what the Bible is saying. That's why in, in, in so many traditions, when you go to a wedding, we don't do this much here in America because, again, we've stripped it away from a lot of the communal aspect of it. But what do you say when the bride is walking down? We did this at Jenna's wedding. When, when Jenna was walking down with her dad, said, hey, who gives this woman to be married to this man? What is it saying? It's not just these people decided to go to Vegas and get married and Elvis is going to marry them and they're done. It's over. No. The reason we have weddings in churches, the reason we have witnesses is because it's done in community. It's not meant to be done any other way. That's why family fills so much of the rose and why your friends come out because they're saying, hey, we're going to hold you to the vows that we're witnesses of the vows that you're making. That's why, again, when weddings used to start, they said, if anyone has reason for this man and woman to not be united in holy matrimony, speak now or forever hold your peace. Because they understand that marriages, it doesn't just take two to make a thing go right. It takes a community. It takes a village. It takes people. It takes friends. It takes people who love the couple. 
So I encourage you guys all the time, man. Hey, if you're, before you get into a relationship, talk to your house church shepherd. Talk to married folks in the congregation. Talk to me about it. A lot of times we get into relationships and we're like, you know what, I'm too scared to talk to my shepherd because he's probably going to tell me something. That's how often God discerns, uses people in order to bring discernment into your life as to whether this is the right person for you or not. Through your people, he'll say, no, slow, go, grow, whatever it might be. And don't just ask your like, hey, yeah, I'm going to ask my like 13-year-old friends who want me to have a boyfriend really bad. No, 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 not asking them. Asking people who pray for you, who care about you, who are drawing from a wisdom that comes from the eternal truths of Scripture, not from the complicated waters of the world's dating philosophies. But people who care, people who are praying, people who care for your soul and not just your momentary happiness because this is a huge Decision that's going to affect generations to come. This is what he's saying. Throughout Genesis 24, it's constantly other people being involved in this in order to guide them, to nurture them, to protect them, and to help them. There have been many times where people have come to me and said, hey, Pastor DL, can I uh, pursue this relationship? And there are times where I've said each of these four things. I've said, no, I don't think, I don't think you guys are in the right place to do it. And, and yeah, they get sad in the moment, but I, don't, I, ha, I, don't, I cannot recall a time, and I might be wrong, but I cannot recall a time where anyone has come back later and said, you know what, um, that was bad advice. I regret the advice that you gave to me. Not that my advice is good, but because sometimes all it takes is someone to see blind spots in your life or in that other person that you don't see. It's not, a lot of times it's not rocket science, right? There's, there, there's, certain, there's certain things that help us to understand that we're ready to be in a relationship and certain things that tell us that we're not ready. And that's, just, that's what people can, can, can offer to you. Just give that insight, right? We've got to be healed from uh, relationships with our parents. We've got to be healed from, from baggage of the past, all the things like that. Can't be addicted to things or those addictions are going to come out in our marriage. It's, it's stuff that other people see that sometimes we just need another voice to speak into our lives to remind us of the things that are true. The, the, the amazing thing to me about this, Rebecca wasn't pining for, at least as far as we know. Right? She wasn't kicking around, oh gosh, I'm, I don't know how old I am, but I'm so old and I'm still single and my life is terrible, I gotta go to this dumb well. And no, nah, she just... She was going to the well like she always does every day. That's what she was doing. She was doing what she should have been doing. And in that one day, in that one moment, her life was changed. Little did she know that she was going to marry a man through whom generations to come, she'd be the great, 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 some number of great grandmother to Jesus, the Savior of the world. All she knew is, hey, I'm just living in faithfulness to my present calling. I'm trying to be faithful to God. He's going to bring someone into my life and it's going to change the world forever. Do you think she's glad that she sought to do it the way of God, even though it meant leaving her family, walking or going back 500 miles to a land that she did not know? Did she know that this would be the blessing of the ages that would fall into her lap because she was living in faithfulness to God that day? I think she would tell you, if she was alive today, she would say, ladies and gentlemen, Wait for God's best for you because it's far greater than what you might think. We talked about her last week briefly, but I wonder how, I mean, it wouldn't, it, the movie wouldn't be different, but I wonder if Anna of Arendelle had a house church, shepherd, or she had a pastor that she could talk to before she was swept off her feet and smitten with Hans of the Southern Isles or whatever it was. Hey, you know what? He only wants you <laughs> for the crown. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want you. He can't lead you spiritually. If she had had that advice, it would have saved her so much pain. She would say, had I known that there was a Kristoff around the corner, I would have never bothered with Hans. Yeah. Would you trust that? God has a Christoph for you that's far better than your Hans that you're seeking right now? Love stories often happened at wells. Rachel and Leah, Isaac and Rebecca, Moses and Zipporah. But in the New Testament, I think we will see probably one of the best love stories at a well that the world could ever hear about. 
There was a well in a town called Sychar where this woman went. She didn't go the time everyone else went. She went in the hottest time of the day because she'd sought this love multiple times. Five times she had it, but every time the dude left her and said, you know what, you're not worth it anymore. Because only men could initiate divorce in those days. She got dropped five times. She was shacking up with a dude then, but he didn't want to marry her for whatever reason. Maybe it was a hassle. Maybe I just want you as my side hustle, whatever it is. I don't want to marry you. And so she's longing for love, longing for acceptance, longing for someone who could cure this lonely condition in my heart. And she's thirsty, and she's seeking, and she's longing, and she's wishing for someone that could do for her what none of these people could do. And there just happens to be the love of her life. But it was a love unlike any love that she'd experienced before. It was a man unlike any who didn't want her for her body, who didn't want her for what she could give, but a man who saw into the deepest part of her soul and he loved her for who she is, brokenness and everything. And in that place, he said the words that expressed her very heart. He said, you know what? I'm thirsty. I need a drink. And in that place, he was exposing the deepest longings of her own soul. He said, woman, I see you are thirsty, and you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe some of you are like that today, y'all. You're looking for love in all the wrong places, only to find that the wells from which you drink are constantly leaving you thirsty for more. Jesus says, here at this well, I give to you a living water that will never leave you thirsty again. She says, I want that. I want that. And this woman who comes bone dry and thirsty leaves completely transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. A woman who came thirsty with her jar left that behind, and she said, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Her greatest shame became her greatest boast because she was defined now by Jesus and the love of God. I used to seek love in all of these other things, but I'm different now because an infinite love has invaded my soul, and now I want everyone to have this love. I used to be afraid of you, ashamed of you, but now I give everything in order that you could just get a glimpse of the love that I've received. And if she followed him for another couple years, then she would see the full extent of that love. When those words which were so familiar to her would be uttered from his lips again, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, I thirst. Taking the words right out of her mouth and taking the thirst right out of our soul. He said, I became thirsty so that you would never thirst again. Some of us are looking for love in all the wrong places, trying to find it in the arms of a man or woman when the deepest love possible is found only in Jesus. When you know that love, when you embrace that love, when that love begins to fill your soul, then you enter into a relationship, not because you're thirsty, but because you're overflowing as a fountain of life to give to other people. Then you won't look to take. You want to give to everybody, especially to the one that you call your best friend. Let's not go into this lightly. Take it seriously. Enter into it prayerfully. Don't do it alone. Don't just look. Watch and pray. And trust that the Lord will lead you in the ways that he wants to lead you. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Uh, respond to God's word. What is the Lord challenging you to this morning? Is God holding up a stop sign in your path saying, hey, you got to stop. Where you are right now is dangerous, not only for you, but for another person and for people to come. The people, the, the, the young people that you serve, the kids that you teach. Hey, be careful. This is important. Maybe God is holding up a, a green light as you've been praying. He's saying, hey, go, go, go. You found the one with whom you can maximize life for the kingdom. Go. Maybe others of you, I'd say maybe for a lot of us, God is saying, hey, let's grow. Let's really grow that we can give our lives away. For those of us in here who are married, we need to grow too. You know, we never stop growing. We never stop pursuing God. We never stop causing our lives to be sanctified for his purpose and his glory. We never, none of us, whether we're single or married, can ever exhaust the limitless 
resources of God's love. We need to drink from that in order that we might give love to other people. Let's take a moment to pray, committing our hearts, our future, our lives to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Help me not to look for love in the wrong places anymore, but to find it in you. Can we do that? Let's pray for a minute or two minutes, really committing, consecrating our hearts to the Lord. Jesus, I want to follow you. Father, I want to trust you. I want to believe that you have the best for me in my marriage, in my singleness. Lord, I want to trust you. Let's pray for a couple minutes right now. Honestly, sincerely, sow into your life right now in prayer. Deposit into the prayer bank for your life, for your future potential spouse, for your kids' spouses. Let's build into that for a couple minutes, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. Thank you, Father. Lord, we need you. God Almighty, we need your grace. Thank you, Father, your faithful love. Lord, we need you. Father in heaven, we thank you that the infinite became finite, that the God who quenches the thirst of every human being became a human in order that he might be thirsty, in order that he might be able in his humanity to do the one thing that could not be done on earth, on heaven, in heaven, which was to die for the sins of the world. There we see the truest picture of what love looks like. There we see the fountain from which every marriage can thrive. We see the fountain from which every individual must drink in order for us to be so deeply satisfied and to give our lives away. So Father, may the gospel become beautiful to us all over again. May your love for us be the deepest love that we experience. And out of overflow, not out of lack, out of abundance, not out of thirst, that we would give our love to those around us. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. Pray that you would deepen the longing within our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.